Welcome back to Miners of Mayhem. I am Brianna. I'm Eden. And we are so happy that you guys have continued to show us love and support. We greatly appreciate it. Now, if you listened to our last episode, we mentioned that there was a little contest, and our winner of that contest is my longtime friend, Terry Wilder. The question yeah. was, what? I said, yay, Terry. Yeah. Um, the question was, what is a runestone reading? And Terry's answer was that some people say that runestone readings are God's email. A runestone reading casting is a way to active, activate intuition and gather information about the past, present, and future. So a huge congrats to Terry for being the winner of our first contest. And she will be receiving a Miners of Mayhem sweatshirt soon. And another right. little um, announcement is that due to the lovely weather of North Dakota, me and my mom um, are doing a remote recording. So there may be more background noise than normal. So please just bear with us. Um, she did try to come to my house to record, but the roads were just too bad and it was awful. Um, okay, what are we doing? Well, today's case is a little different from our other cases where, you know, the kids had a rough childhood and et cetera. So let's get into it. Today we will be talking about Craig Chandler Price, AKA, the Warwick Slasher, or Iron Man. If you guys have been with us since the first episode, you know that we don't leave out any graphic details of the murders. This case is no different, so this is your trigger warning. Craig was born on October 11th, 1973, to John and Shirley Price. Craig, his parents, and two siblings grew up in Warwick, Rhode Island. John worked as a manager at Kmart, and Shirley was a clerical worker at Kmart as well. Living in Warwick, the city was less than 1% of African Americans. After the civil rights movement in the 1960s, the racial tens tensions, racial tensions. Get it together. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> the racial tensions were still very high but the family was still able to provide a stable living. Now, I didn't really find anything that was alarming about Craig's upbringing. It all seemed to be quite, quote, unquote, normal. Um, the positive side, Craig had a very comedic personality and was always the first one to show up if anybody needed help. Craig did well in school, loved, loved sports, particularly basketball and football. At the age of nine, things started to turn dark. He was allegedly having thoughts about death and murder. Craig started getting into trouble with the law, and that started his rap sheet. At but age at, nine? At age nine. So, huh. And there was no triggering, no triggering factors there? No. Interesting. Yeah. By the okay. time Craig was 13, he had several charges, including breaking and entering, robbery, stalking, drug use, and assault. This case literally blows my mind that a child who was so selfless 
funny, loving, and caring with a good childhood can turn to murder with a flip of a switch. It seems to be that he might have had some emotional stuff going on and didn't know how to cope, let alone ask for help, but that obviously doesn't make it okay or right to go out and murder. A lot of the time, when you don't seek help, things tend to spiral and the darkness becomes stronger and harder to overcome. Earlier, I mentioned that Craig was using drugs. He first started with marijuana. I said that really freaking weird. (laughs) Wanna? Marijuana. Wanna? Yeah, I wanna. He started with marijuana and shortly after started using LSD. LSD. Are you going to explain what LSD is? Yes. Good, because I was just going to ask exactly what that does. LSD, for those of you that don't know, mother, (laughs) it's a strong psychedelic drug that could cause intensified thoughts, emotions, and sensory perception. High doses of LSD manifest primarily mental, visual, and auditory hallucinations. I I also mentioned earlier that Craig had done some break-ins and stalking women. He would break into houses and steal things, and he would watch women through their windows. We like to call those peeping toms. Nice. And how how old was he when he was being a peeping tom? 13. 13. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. On the night of July 27th, 1987, Craig committed murder. Mind you, he is 13 years old at this time. Before getting into the acts of violence, let's talk about the victim. Rebecca Spencer was 27 years old. <laughs> my husband is in here and he's stealing my snacks. <laughs> Why do you have snacks? You can't eat. I, well, I was doing it before the recording, and like it just made me laugh. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to I tried to pull through, but I lost it. Okay. <sighs> what kind of snacks? Grapes and cheese. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a good snack. It is a good snack. I want some. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Before getting into the acts of violence, let's talk about... Shut up, Mom. (laughs) I'm pausing it. Rebecca Spencer was 27 years old and only lived a couple houses down from the Price family. She lived with her brother, Carl B-A-T-T-E-Y. I don't know if it's Batty or Batte. I, I didn't research it, but... But she was also a mother of two. It's sad to say that at the time of her murder, she was actively looking into moving to a different neighborhood. Um, how, how old were her kids? They were an eight-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. Oh. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. And... Craig had actually looked through Rebecca's windows on multiple occasions. On that July night, he broke into her home, grabbed one of her kitchen knives, and stabbed her over and over, making it 58 stab wounds total. 
Rebecca had been lying on the living room floor watching TV after a long day of packing boxes. She fell asleep and that's how Craig found her. After grabbing the kitchen knife, he stood over her watching her sleep for several minutes. Then he started violently stabbing her. Rebecca didn't even get a chance to scream or fight back. He punctured her heart, liver, face, lungs, and head. Holy crap. So where was the kids and the brother whenever this was happening? So you know how I mentioned that she was actively looking into moving to a different neighborhood? Well, she asked her ex-husband if he could take them so Rebecca could get the moving work done and would be easier without the kids. So okay. her, her ex-husband did take the kids that day. And her brother worked nights and left around 8.30 p.m. to go to work. Oh, crap. Okay. Which, thank God that the kids the, the, were not there. Too bad Too the bad brother, brother worked work night. night. Yeah. Um, after grabbing the kitchen knife, he stood over her, watching her for sleep for several minutes. Then, okay, I read that already. Mm -hmm. Rebecca didn't even get a chance to scream or fight back. He punked. I did that too. Damn, did it did together. It. When Rebecca's brother came home from work the next day, the scene was a nightmare. There, Rebecca laid in a pool of her own blood. Carl said, quote, We were living in the same place at the, at the time and found her in the living room. I don't remember what happened. I know I called 911 and I tried to revive her, unquote. For two whole years, this crime went unsolved and the family was losing hope that the killer would never be caught. Fast forward two years, Craig decides to strike again. I'm going to give another trigger warning for graphic details of this murder and also um, suicide, as it does involve a 10 and 8-year-old. So, mm, okay. just be aware of that. Um, Craig is now 15 years old when he murders a mother and her two daughters. Joan Heaton was 39. Her daughter... Her daughters, Jennifer, was 10, and Melissa was 8 years old. John, who was Joan's woman, husband, <laughs> this is not, John, who was Joan's husband, sadly took his own life on June 19, 1983. So in 1985, Joan took her two daughters and moved to a new city and new neighborhood in hopes to have a fresh new start. Unfortunately, it was the same neighborhood as Craig Price. September 1st, 1989, Craig decided to smoke weed laced with LSD and ended up standing outside her home for quite a while. Then he let himself in and went to the kitchen and found a block of knives. When Joan woke up to some noises downstairs, she went to investigate. It was then she seen Craig and started screaming. Throwing his weight into Joan, he started strangling her until she was on the floor. Not knowing if Joan was passed out or dead, 
he stabbed her 57 times and even bit her face while stabbing her. Oh my God. Joan's screams woke the girls up. They decided to head down downstairs to check what was wrong. Oh this is no. When, yeah, it's, it's about to be bad. This is when Craig first seen Jennifer and grabbed her. While Craig was stabbing Jennifer while her eight-year-old sister watched what was happening, she screamed for Melissa to call 911. Craig had stabbed Jennifer 62 times. Then when he noticed that Melissa was headed for the phone, he grabbed her before, she, before reaching the phone. Craig began stabbing her with 37 stab wounds, and then he took a kitchen stool and crushed her skull with it. What? He took a kitchen stool and hit her over the head. And it crushed her skull. Oh my. Craig had stabbed Melissa so violently that the knife actually broke off and was sticking out of her neck. Oh God. On September 4th, 1989, just three days later, Marie, who is Joan's mother, along with Mary Lou, Joan's sister, hadn't heard from Joan over the weekend and decided to drive over to her home to check up on them. This family was very close. I mean, just days prior to this, they were out shopping and having a good time spending time together. Um, okay. And this decision would ultimately change their lives forever. Marie and Mary Lou found it to be unusual that nobody answered the door because Joan's car was in the driveway. After several attempts of ringing the doorbell and still no answers, they decide to go in the house. They knew immediately that something was wrong. Upon entering the house, they were greeted with a putrid smell and blood splatter. How many days was this? Two days? It was like two or three. Two or three. Yeah. Okay. It was three. I'm sorry. Yeah, this smell would be, yeah. When they walked farther into the home, they found Joan under sheets that were soaked in blood. Jennifer was close to her mom and Melissa on the kitchen floor. Marie and Mary Lou called police who didn't take long to arrive and start an investigation. Even the most experienced detectives had a hard time holding back tears looking at this crime scene. The investigators didn't have much to go on. Warwick, Warwick residents started to be fearful and didn't feel safe. The Warwick Police Department hired FBI's top profiler by the name of Greg O. McCrary. He actually wrote a book about this case called The Unknown Darkness. In his book, he wrote that he believed that the killer, from, the killer was from Jones' neighborhood and was probably connected to an unsolved murder that happened two years prior because of the similarities between them. Greg mentioned to investigators that the frantic manner of the stabbing of the Heatons could possibly have resulted in the killer stabbing his own hand, so to keep an eye out for someone who has a cut or a bandage on their hand. So at this time, he was just profiling? Um, 
On September 5th, 1989, the day after discovering Joan and her daughter's bodies, police were driving through a park and one of the police officers recognized a boy that he used to coach in basketball. Any guesses who you think the boy is? I bet I know. I bet he's got a cut on his hand, too. So the police officers decided to talk to Craig. They asked him if he heard about the murders. Craig said yes, he had, and seen the bodies being taken out of the house. During the police's and Craig's conversation, they noticed Craig had a bandage on his hand. Mm, Bingo. When police asked what happened, Craig told them that he had gotten drunk several nights ago and punched a car window. Police didn't know whether to believe Craig's story. After all, why would Craig admit to vandalizing a vehicle? And also, it seemed unlikely that a teenager could commit such a heinous crime. But since Craig lived in the neighborhood, had a cut on his hand, and the rap sheet he was already, the rap sheet he has already, the police weren't so sure. The police actually decided to drive to the place where Craig said he punched through the car window and found no car with a broke window or glass on the ground. Hmm. And there also wasn't a police report. This made police doubt Craig's story even more. Now, crime scene investigators went back to Joan's home to look for more evidence and found a bloody sock print and is believed to be a size 13. Now, I didn't put this in here, but if you look up pictures of Craig when he was 13, he's a big boy. Like, tall, stocky. So it is now police decided to follow their gut and question Craig more. When the police took Craig and his parents to the police station, Craig stuck to his story about trying to break into a car. Police asked Craig if he would comply to a lie detector test, and he did agree. But survey says he was lying. Of course. The police questioned Craig's friends and family and learned that Craig was hanging out with a gang of juvenile delinquents who were known to burglarize burglarize homes. That's such a weird word to say. (laughs) You had had trouble with that one on a couple podcasts ago, too. Probably. Yeah. Furthermore, police learned that Craig bragged about killing Rebecca Spencer and getting away with it. This was enough evidence to get a search warrant for Craig's home. Craig's mother, father, and brothers were very distressed while the police did their search. Did their search. Craig, however, fell asleep on the couch. The shed okay. behind the house had some disturbing evidence. There was a trash bag that had several bloody knives, bloody clothes, gloves, and other things. Investigators woke Craig up and placed him under arrest, and he showed absolutely no emotion. Once they started interrogating him, he confessed to killing Joan and her two daughters in detail. Craig's father, John, had to leave to go to the bathroom to vomit and couldn't even return. Oh, jeez. Well, imagine sitting there listening to your kid talk about these murders in detail. 
it, mm-hmm. it's sickening. No, I couldn't do it. When asked what his intentions were, Craig stated that he was only going to burglarize the home. According to Craig, he crawled through an open kitchen window and the noise that woke Joan up was him landing on the table that broke. When he seen Joan, he had panicked, grabbed her, beat her, and strangled her. When the girls came down, he tackled them, and that's when he grabbed the knives and stabbed all three of them. He told investigators that he didn't expect them to fight back so hard. Even one of the girls had bit Craig on the hand, and he bit her back. So that could be why he had a bandage on his hand. Craig also bit Joan's face, like I mentioned earlier. All three of them fought Craig until their injuries made them unable to fight anymore. Literally, all three of them literally fought to their death. And in one resource I found, he even admitted to mimic the last sounds of the dying girls. Literally mimicking the last sounds. Oh my god. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. When Hmm. police asked about um, Rebecca Spencer, Craig surprised them when he admitted to killing her as well. When asked what his intentions were for killing Rebecca, apparently her brother Carl had said some racial slurs towards Craig which enraged Craig and wanted to seek revenge. Carl, however, denies ever seeing any racial slurs at all. So, according to Rhode Island state law, the only thing, so he admitted to all of these murders before he turned 16. And according to the Rhode Island state law, the only thing the court could do was hold Craig in a training school until the age of 21. So while, yeah. So while in Rhode Island Training School's Youth Correctional Center, Craig got his GED and started college courses. He wanted to be able to get a good job after he was released. Hold on, just hold okay. on. Okay. <laughs> In 1993, what? I'm about ready to puke from the lack of consequences here. He he eventually digs himself a really deep hole. And I'll, I'll get into that. He murdered four people? Yes. And two of them were children. Yes. And all they're going to do is put him in this juvenile school until he's 21? Yes. That's that's Rhode Island state law. They need that's. I've hoped they've done something since then. That's bullshit. I'll, I'll get there. Okay, that just ticks me off. I'm sorry. Oh, I know. It when I was doing this case, it it took me a while to get through all of it because it was intense. Mm. 1993, Craig made a good reputation for himself for good behavior. He was even granted to counsel other juveniles in the facility. 
He also was doing some security by monitoring the school hallways. But the citizens and the family of the victims were pissed when they heard Craig was getting special treatment and demanded it stop. A campaign started for new bills to prevent Craig from being released along with others like him. Craig's reputation turned around. On June 8, 1994, Craig was indicted on a simple assault and extortion for threatening to hurt Officer Mark Petrella, Petrella, who was a training school employee. His trial was set for later that fall. So in the same month, it's June right now of 1994. So the same month, he refused to psychiatric exams and therapy for so long that he could um, be held for contempt of court. When he refused at his hearing, the judge added on another year for the contempt of court and served his time at the Adult Correctional Institution in Crankston. It took Craig almost five years to finally give in to therapy and psychiatric exams. During the evaluation, Craig lied about the events of the murder. Fast forward to fall. The trial started and the jury found him guilty on the assault and extortion charge and was sentenced to 15 years, but eight of those years were suspended. Craig's problems were still not over, though. In 1996, Craig had bit a correctional officer during a brawl, which resulted in another year sentence on top of his sentence already. Anger issues? And so since Craig had lied during the exams and refused to do, to do the treatments again, he was charged once more with contempt and sentenced to another 25 years on top of his other sentences. Oh, good. It don't stop. In October 1998, Craig would get served another seven years for assaulting another correctional officer. Craig continues to dig himself a deeper hole. February 1999 and October 2001, he got a total of four more years for the same thing, assaulting a correctional officer. She made me Christmas. So after all of that, he was scheduled to have parole in 2022. But with all of the continued violence, people really doubted that he would get released. And they weren't wrong. Okay. In 2004, Craig was transferred to Florida to serve his time because of his violent tendencies. While in Florida, July 2009, Craig was involved in a prison fight with an inmate. During this fight, a correctional officer was stabbed in the finger by a homemade shiv that Craig had. Craig was then transferred transferred to another facility do you think his violence stopped i'm thinking not (laughs) you are correct in april 2017 craig was accused of stabbing an inmate with a five inch homemade knife 
And in 2009, he was sentenced to another 25 years. So he will probably never be released and is still currently at the Florida State Prison. So even though he committed these murders and he could have got out on his 21st birthday with a clean record and all of that. And a a degree in something because school, right? He was doing all that school stuff. He just dug himself a deeper hole by getting into more trouble, which thank God that he did because he deserves to stay in jail for the murders. But he's not, he's not in jail because of the murders. He's in jail because of the violence he has shown in jail. The murders. And it, like literally this was, there was so much to this case. Like I, I hope it made sense and I did it some justice. I don't know. But really Oh cool. my God. That, yeah. I still can't get over that rule that, well, there That's was a, there all the was, time he got in Rhode Island for murdering four freaking people. Yeah, but there That's was ridiculous. Bill, there was a bill passed um, that prevents uh, teenagers to be released for those types of crimes. Good. I just I didn't get into it because I was already. Right. A lot of pages in, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a heavy one. It it was, yeah. I just think about them little kids fighting for their lives. Just I it make tears up my heart. As always, our hearts always go out to the families and um the family actually fought to keep Craig in incarcerated. I bet they did. Yeah. Good on them. Yep. He's right where he needs to be. His violence is never going to stop. Just from what I've heard here. I don't think. And refusing um, treatment. Yeah. Psychiatric exams and the therapy. He's. There's no rehabilitating there. No, he doesn't want. He doesn't want help. He doesn't want to admit that he's got a problem, apparently. This was... I can't believe I've never heard of this case. Yeah, it's crazy. And he blames it on, like... Oh, whoops. What was that? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry about that. Hmm, interesting. But, he blames it on what now? Um, racial slurs. Oh, oh, give me a break. break. But but this was, you know, right after the civil rights movement. But that doesn't give you the right. But 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 he but said he that said it, was it was Carl that made the racial slurs, right? Correct. So why take it out on Joan? Joan or Joanne? Joan. Joan. Why take it out on Joan and her two girls? She didn't do it. He said it was Carl. So why didn't he go after Carl? Why Why has he got to kill them two of, kids? You're thinking of Rebecca. Oh, Becca. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. It's insane. That just, it, 
it makes absolutely zero sense that that crutch that he's trying to fall back on. Mm-mm. How about he's just mentally freaking ill and that's the end of it. There is. Yeah. But yeah, that's the case of um, Craig Price. Hopefully the weather cooperates this week and the snow melts and mom will be able to come and record another episode with me. It's that would weird. be nice. Cause this is, it's that's weird. weird. I don't want to make it a habit. <laughs> no, no, we won't make it a habit. Do you know what you're doing? I have a tish of an idea. I'm bouncing between. Have you heard this one? It, um, John Anthony Silva. No. I, I'm bouncing on that one just because it kind of grabbed my attention. Okay. So we'll see. Sounds good. Yeah. Well. And where can everybody email us? Oh, I suppose. Right? And hopefully next week we will be able to start our videoing. Um, We're just waiting for a SD card to come and kind of get all that set up and, you know, the little pod area all finished up and ready to go. So hopefully, fingers crossed, next week we'll be able to do a video. And we'll upload that to our YouTube channel, Miners of, I believe it's just youtube.com slash Miners of Mayhem or at Miners of Mayhem. Um, You can message us on Facebook. Just search for Miners of Mayhem. You can send us an email at minersofmayhem at gmail.com. And hopefully... With our contest winner, we'll have more people interested in Miners of Mayhem sweatshirts. That'd be yeah. Kind of cool. yep, so, yeah. Yep. That sounds like a plan to me. And we have to remind her that she has to take a picture for our Facebook page. Oh, that was part of it. That was part of the deal. Yep. And so, I'm sure she will. Yeah. Did we get an address for her? I'm not sure yet. Okay. Sounds good. You guys next week. Bye. Bye.